Hello, welcome to ATM, Artists Talk Movies, a podcast interviewing creatives about films that have inspired and or influenced their personal studio work. I'm Hyde Fontenot, and I'm here with co-host Aaron Stafford. We're here to talk about contemporary art and the creative impulse with new guests each episode. We're having casual conversations. We don't pretend to be authorities. We're hoping to give you a window into the visionary process of makers. doing our thing talking yeah, over each are. other <laughs> yeah, we are. old married couple what were you gonna say i was gonna say i've heard that you were in a sort of winter wonderland out there right minnesota? yeah Is yeah that minneapolis right? minnesota yeah land land of the you know i don't know north <laughs> <laughs> land of 10,000 legs. It's on the license plates. Oh, shit. Although the license plates are all frozen over now, so you can't read them. (laughs) Are forgiven. You're forgiven. Yeah, but it is our 40th episode, which is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Seems like we just started. But um, yeah, this is a a great uh, episode because we're going to cover the never-ending story and yes. it's a movie that I sort of watched kind of as yeah. a kid. Um, of course you did. You're of that generation. It's 1984. I am, but, yeah, but like I'm only one year old when it was released, but I think my brothers who were watching it, like who are much older than I am, I think they were really into it, and I sort of just absorbed it, you uh-huh. know, symbiotically or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had very faint recollections of this so but it was a nice it was a nice little nostalgic treat um for a an old old millennial you know young genetics <laughs> kid so uh, had you ever yeah. seen it before huh? I, I had never seen it i'd never seen mm-hmm. it i was actually when you were one i was mm-hmm. 20 and oh uh, <laughs> and i was in college and again like just wow. not not watching kids shows yeah. so much yeah. But, um, and did you and Miranda watch it together? Well, Is that well you know, I, I, I watched it last year knowing that Miranda wanted to talk <gasps> about it. And oh, and okay. with, and I watched it with the Bryans and okay. I ate a brownie before oh I God. watched it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and so it was kind of a different experience. And then last night here in Minneapolis, uh, uh-huh. Miranda and I watched it together. 
And it was a, it was a different experience. And I also wanted to say so so our guest this week, Miranda Brandon, who's mm-hmm. an artist, photographer, educator, carpenter, uh, <laughs> who is uh, based in Minneapolis. Um, what am I saying? Oh, is that she and I have been uh, have spent the week together because I came up to Minneapolis. So it's it's funny. We've been talking about we've had a lot of conversations, but this is the first time I've spent an entire week with a podcast guest prior to oh, wow. recording. <laughs> Usually we're just calling each other on the phone. I know it's like a cold. Sometimes we, we both have never met um, the person uh face to face or you know through audio so but that's really right right yeah 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 it's been great well do you want to do miranda's introduction sure sure i will introduce miranda brandon who is a multimedia artist with a strong inclination towards photography for the last decade her work has focused on biodiversity loss animal representation and the changing landscape Within these areas, she challenges perceived notions of human importance, belonging, and connection. Miranda has received several residencies and fellowships, has exhibited work in solo and group shows nationally, and has been featured by Audubon Magazine and the Earth Island Journal, with work being included in the published collection Birds Exploring the Winged World, among other publications. Miranda describes herself as a sight hound loving former fine art professor turned carpenter <laughs> who enjoys volunteering with and for animals. And if you need someone to come remove a spider from your home and gently <laughs> capture it in a cup and then relocate it outside, she's your gal. Miranda, you are on speed dial right now. Uh, and, oh my goodness. And Miranda is currently in between exhibitions, but has a current passion project in volunteering with the Greyhound Rescue Group. Oh my goodness. And she'd like listeners to know that retired racing greyhounds make wonderful pets and they there are adoption groups all across the states. So welcome, Miranda. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Hi, Erin. Hi, hi. 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 <laughs> thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for choosing this movie that I don't think I'd ever really watched all the way, just bits and pieces of it. So it was really nice to sort of finally sit down and watch it from start to finish. Oh yeah, this was a movie I watched a lot as a kid, so it was kind of the only thing I thought would... It was the first thing I thought of when Hyde had mentioned the Yeah, cool. And so I'm assuming that this is something that you watched a lot as a kid is that is that correct that is correct this was something yeah. my mom told me it was kind of just on repeat in the background at all times when i was <laughs> um probably around i think like five and six i guess i was really pretty fixated on this with this movie and and just kind of had it on all the time yeah yeah okay but did you fast forward through the um <laughs> through the the horse scene or did that also just get played on loop because that that's the one scene I do remember about this movie of course because it's it's quite um it's quite traumatizing um, traumatizing yeah for a mm-hmm. child yeah you know I think my um my parents told me that the scene that I couldn't handle was the scene of Gamork the kind of werewolf 
creature mm-hmm. when he's in the cave like speaking to Atreyu. <laughs> yeah. Like uh-huh. that was I was really terrified of that puppet when I was a kid. <laughs> and so uh-huh. that they said I'd like need it to be paused and like, you know, fast forward through. Oh. Um or that made because my mom said I would often just get up and like walk, you know, walk away. And she said, but it was just always playing in the background. So maybe I got up and walked away during that period. I don't know about the horse. They didn't. My parents didn't comment on whether I was, uh, whether I would watch the horse scene or not. Oh man, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That horse scene does go on for quite a mm-hmm. bit too. Oh, it's my like gosh. it's not it's not like a quick band aid pull. It's really like agonizing. Like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and if if anyone hasn't seen the Neverending Story, what we're referencing oh. is that there's there's a scene where our our hero is uh, goes through this muddy swamp, and the swamp sort of devours his horse, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's crying and pulling on the bridle and oh trying to get gosh. the horse to. You know, it's so the, terrible. It's so the terrible. swamps of sadness. Oh the yeah, swamps it's of the, sadness. Yeah, and yeah. so the deal with the swamps of sadness was like if like sadness overcomes you you become a victim of the swamp itself it it Uh takes you and so that was one of the things that i thought was very as an adult i don't think i had much awareness of this as a kid but as an adult i thought was very interesting like them attributing like a human emotion to an animal you know that i Mm -hmm. feel like for such a long time you know or or there was this separation right where we Uh began to treat animals as like machines or tools and and so I thought it was interesting, you know, in the 80s, this attribution of emotion to, like, the horse is yeah. the one who sinks in the in the swamps. And, right. And then, I don't know how Atreyu made it out, because he just lost yeah. his horse, right? and then he's sad sitting in the he, swamp. He wanted to leave the swamp, and the horse wouldn't move, remember? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's on a, it's on a platform. It's on, like, a, a, tra- a cranked platform that's being lowered into this liquid it's pretty clear you know Uh 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 (laughs) i wondered actually in terms of like animal training that you've you've got somebody pulling on this bridle which you know i grew up with horses and that would a horse would follow you a horse would take that so for a horse to resist all of that yelling screaming pulling Mm -hmm. on the bridle that's mm-hmm. like a really specifically trained horse to not leave, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. leave yeah. the swamp. Mm-hmm. I, I did read yeah. that it did have a lot of training, like animal uh, sort of trainers in there because, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was really difficult for that scene to be pulled off. Um, as you can imagine, like, I don't think a horse would be like cool with like sinking into like a dark swampy right right so it's like (laughs) trying to get the horse to 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 remain still and um, right you know horses will cross like a river or a lake or a gully but as i recall like they're not hanging out they're kind of wanting like okay we're gonna get through this you know yeah yeah yeah. we don't we're not gonna soak right this is relaxing let's get the bath kind of reminded me of like sometimes in movies i feel like they have to have this one moment of like sadness for the viewer to like feel really connected in an emotional way and uh-huh. it sort of reminded me this is so cheesy but of like titanic <laughs> and like how oh jack rose had, and jack yeah like jack had to die some people are, are kind of like oh he could have 
you know, hung on Threw and door. climbed on right. the door. But it's like, no, I, I think he needed to die for the for the emotional effect. Right. Like all these folks are trying to kind of rationalize like the physics of the door. It's like it's not about the door. <laughs> right. It's about right. grief and loss. It is kind of a gap in the logic, though. I know what they're saying, because I feel like I've seen some memes, uh, too, that are like, oh, uh, yeah. can you move over and share the door, please? Yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Miranda, could you honor us with um, a summary of the movie for our listeners who might need a bit of a refresher? Yeah, sure. So it's about this young boy, Bastion. He's 10 years old. He's... Um, he's kind of a bullied kid. He's, we find out at the beginning of the movie, he's recently lost his, well, I don't know. He's lost his mom. We don't know mm-hmm. when. Um, but he's, um, he's kind of, um, he's bookish and in like in that bookishness, he kind of finds, I think, escape from what's like, whatever, you know, he's dealing with, with the loss of his mom and being bullied. He ends up, uh, in this bookstore and finds this, kind of like enchanted book that the bookkeeper tries to kind of warn him about and of course it makes it more enticing for him and and he steals this book and it's full of all these this kind of fantastical world called uh fantasia and Mm. uh it has all these like kind of this kind of weird mix of like fantasy creatures and then like creatures we um recognize Mm -hmm. and um and but we find that the world is is falling apart. There's this there's yeah. this sickness that's affecting both its leader and the landscape itself. Mm-hmm. And the more invested that Bastion gets in reading into reading the book, the more kind of intertwined he becomes with the with the characters of the book to the point where he becomes one of the characters um, mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess there's, this is not like a uh-huh. podcast where it's like, spoiler alert, we're not going right. to, I mean, this movie came out in like 84, so like if you <laughs> yeah. haven't yeah. seen it right now. Like, You've had a few years. <laughs> You've had some time. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, like this, this <clears throat> fantasy world, like be, they become reliant on a response from, it's kind of like a call and response thing where they're like yeah. addressing the reader, which happens to be this kid, Bastion, and mm-hmm. they're reliant on him, like believing in that and um like providing a response to them Mm -hmm. in order to save the world Mm -hmm. their world yeah it's it's sort of like scientology where (laughs) (laughs) it starts off real friendly and then uh there's like yeah you're 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 involved more deeply than you ever wanted to be yeah (laughs) Maybe. I mean, right? Like the Scientology Center is there. <laughs> Maybe I should just drop this, like... No! No! <laughs> this, this train of logic. But, like, yeah, like the Scientology Centers near campuses are always saying, Oh, oh, are you, are you sad? Are you troubled? Do you have, mm. like, misgivings or doubts? It's like, come mm. in for a free personality test. And then it's like... <laughs> Then you're in a cult. <laughs> yeah. And, and Bastion just wants a good story. He wants to escape being bullied and, yeah. uh, and, and just deep, deep dive into this book. And then all of a sudden he's involved. And it's like, Bastion, only you can save our mm-hmm. world by mm-hmm. renaming the, 
Childlike Empress. <laughs> Childlike Empress. We've been yeah. laughing about the awkwardness of some of those phrases. I think it might be because Ger- Germans made this English uh-huh. language. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't or as... Or we, yeah. Yeah. Translate it, yeah. Right. It's Because it's a German children's book, right? Right. Or a young adult fantasy yeah. Yeah. novel. Yeah. I don't think the author really cared for the movie. I think he was no, disappointed. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted... He wanted his name removed from the credits. And oh, last yeah. night when Hyde and I watched the movie, because I was like, no, I'm pretty sure his name's in the credits. And it's not. Like, I yeah. was, like, paying closer attention, and it's not. His name is not in the They uh, did mention, um, uh, which I don't think I see this. I don't know if I've ever seen this credit, but it was for a conceptual artist. Did y'all pick up on, like, this? Mm-mm, no. Felt this artist who I believe is still alive, um, who's, shit, I think he's maybe Italian, <laughs> old Derico. I think I'm butchering that for sure, but he's an artist who has worked on, like, cinema and opera and okay. some other, he's kind and did he of, he's cr- a painter. Okay, so he was like the, what did you say he was, concept artist? Yeah, a concept artist, or I thought it yeah. said conceptual, but you you probably write probably you know I, I could see like in terms of like a production designer or art director, if you were working on building this other world, you might want to refer to somebody that yeah you, you gave all that all that power over to to say like well you define this. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And basically, kind of, I think he also did some illustrations for, for children's books. And so it's sort of like okay. a... But I, I just thought, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know why. I just I don't feel like artists get enough credit for like the involvement that they have with um, the style and the, the production of and the feel of a it's movie. It's true. It, it depends mm-hmm. on their status, too. Because I remember That's like... True. yeah, um, Salvador Dali was a visual consultant on... Mm. Uh, Hitchcock film was it Spellbound or uh, oh wow but there there are like these dr- dream sequences that are very much huh. a Dolly painting and so someone like that is going to yeah. get You're yeah you're gonna get recognition uh huh but just yeah like a workaday artist might you know might just be lumped in with the rest of the crew it's a funny thing about the idea of filmmaking and the idea of an auteur like oh that's a woody allen film you know Mm. and it's like well yeah and woody allen has you know 300 people that work for him on every film and Mm. so it's like Mm -hmm. yeah he's uh yes it, it it's stamped with his name but it would not be possible without all of these other people he relies on oh yeah you know yeah um can we okay so like there's a i feel like there's a lot of layers to this movie um that we can get into yeah um and before we get too too deep i just want to address the um the <laughs> the breakfast that the the dad was making at the very beginning <laughs> the raw egg <laughs> which i was like eh, this did, raw egg did that horrify you orange juice blended together which yes it did until i started thinking i was like actually that's probably pretty good i think did like, you try it yet i've been tempting although i i think the two eggs i have in my refrigerator might be on the way out so i'm <laughs> but we um, were just talking about expiration dates on oh, food. Really? <laughs> yeah uh-huh. eggs eggs in particular nervous about those two eggs but i am tempted because <laughs> 
I think like <laughs> I do enjoy cocktails with egg whites, and I was like, I think it oh. might, I think it actually might be pretty good. So I might try it. I'll get back to you all on that. But um, but what I did discover was that um, that drink is possibly used as a cure for um, a, hangover? a hangover. And oh, I was yeah. thinking, I was like, that's interesting. If the dad was hungover, who's sort of critical of his son Bastian for escaping. Right? the the grief you know and the loss. <laughs> it's like well dad i can't drink myself into a stupor <laughs> so i have to i have to read fantasy books but yeah. you go ahead that might also explain why no one is looking for bastion while he spends the yes. night at the school in the attic <laughs> right no i know, I know. <laughs> yes yeah daddy's three sheets in the wind right. i know i know and it's like there's a bad storm evidently that was happening and it's maybe yeah. you should be worried about your son but clearly he's just you know i i think that like a lot of 80s movies did this where like they pick the parent was always seen as not a villain but definitely like not a supportive like in yeah. fantasy like the the parents were always really grounded and sort of depicted in this way and so this was like quintessential uh-huh. 80s dad making yeah. like a, a no nonsense breakfast <laughs> and, yeah. and like getting to work you know um right mm-hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure we talked about that before we get started. <laughs> about the uh, yeah yeah. So it's it's uh the dad's making breakfast and he's got a yeah. blender and he pours orange juice in it and he cracks an egg in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I was even wondering what that would do chemically because I feel oh, like oh I know would it cook it cook, yeah right the yeah egg. like citrus or uh, acidic foods mm. will cook mm-hmm. like the way they make ceviche with. Lime, yes, juice lime juice and raw fish but it does oh. a chemical cooking sort of yeah. thing on mm-hmm. yeah i know i like coddled egg bits in my morning breakfast i'm gonna experiment i'm gonna get back to y'all on that because i i do well, think i'm you know try and er- that. eric can we talk more yeah. about the two eggs in your fridge that your fridge <laughs> and, why, and, and why you're not doing anything about it well i <laughs> The problem is I've named them, and so I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, one is moon and the other is child, and you just don't. And together, you just saved Fantasia. Oh. I did. I did. So I'm nervous about throwing them away, but I'm also nervous about eating them, too. Anyway. <laughs> is this the, is this part of the never ending story? Is this yes. the fourth installment of the never ending story? The yeah. the, the, the inconsumable <laughs> eggs. But you could you could always wish wish for more eggs. Oh <laughs> I was gonna ask Miranda, did you ever see any of the other installments of the never ending story? Yes, I did. And I think I owned some of them like as an oh. adult for a while. And then I was like, why do I have these? Because <laughs> I don't remember anything about them mm-hmm. other than that I only really cared to watch the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you, we were talking just a little bit earlier about how the, the author, Michael End, was not pleased with the, the never ending story. And I guess... I read a little tiny bit that part of it was like because it just well they changed some things but also that they only address like maybe half of the book in the uh-huh. first 
one, but I think I think it said like I read that like it the second the sequel only very loosely addressed like more of the book and the third one didn't have mm. anything to do with the book. Yeah. It went more in the trajectory of the films probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um huh. you know, and it's funny, like I in a in a strange way, it's such a uh everything in the kitchen sink. Like all the all the characters and like that they're not really related to each other, these different sequences in the film. I could mm-hmm. see it being a film that sticks in your head for certain imagery, like the boy riding a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. and the, and those and those sphinx the sphinx uh, oh guardians <laughs> who are like we we were we were laughing about that like this kid looking up at these big stone breasts and I don't know when I was a kid I was pretty interested in boobs so oh. i <laughs> that would have been like <laughs> yeah well uh, and that show yeah and that song that gets stuck in your head like an earworm it just nestles in that, there with that damn yeah. like that will not go away yeah oh my goodness yeah that is a serious earworm yeah story theme song god um, intentionally i'm sure so yeah yeah well you know I want to take a moment to talk about Miranda's work because I'm, I was also trying to figure out like, why is this film important? And I feel like over the course of like talking all week, we've kind of like (laughs) gotten to a place where a lot of Miranda's work has to do with the natural world, ecology, like animal advocacy. And, um, and so this is like, I, yeah, I feel like, um, do you want to talk about a specific body of work? Like, actually, we were talking about Miranda. So Miranda's been uh, volunteering with this greyhound rescue mm-hmm. uh, group, uh, placing animals that had been worked uh, on racetracks and in those environments and then retired. And like a lot of animal industries, there's not a... Uh, the industry itself has not made any... Uh, what is the word? Has not made any... Uh, arrangements for Mm. retiring these animals but they do live on and the same happens with like when say apes uh are in used in the film industry it's like they like my understanding of it is that like only like a prepubescent chimp can be used in a film uh, Mm. because they're trainable and such and once they go through puberty (laughs) like colin robinson (laughs) We've 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 also been binge watching um, what we do in the shadows. Oh, uh, goodness, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but but um, say for instance, a chimp you know can only be used to age like three or four or five, but then they uh, they live as long as people. So they might live to be you know sixty seventy years old, and there's there's no like uh the industries that have used them and mm-hmm. taken them out of their natural world there's uh you know then it's relying on nonprofits and charities to take care of these animals for the rest of their lives and mm-hmm. so uh Miranda's done some work with the Audubon Society um in preserving and well actually like maybe I'll let you explain it cuz it's like you were you were collecting and counting birds that had flown into glass buildings Mm -hmm. and that became a big part of her work so um do you want to talk about that yeah yeah um yeah so when i was uh, and kind of what led into volunteering with the audubon is i had previously worked at a wildlife rehabilitation center and had Mm -hmm. worked 
in their like avian um, recovery. It wasn't really a nursery, but it was like their recovery unit. And, and kind of through that, I found out about Audubon locally here in Minneapolis that they were looking for volunteers to monitor for collisions that were happening in their like downtown spaces in Minneapolis and St. Paul where um, in the spring and in the fall during migration they were monitoring to see if birds or not if but where birds were colliding with built structures in those downtown spaces mm -hmm. and so and out of that experience and in, in finding these these birds I started making work about them colliding with these structures but the and they're just these kind of large they're large-scale photographs that where it, the bird looks like it's um, kind of at that moment of impact hitting something but it's but what it's hitting is is kind of um, nondescript it looks just like you just see the birds reflection mm -hmm. and be, because part of the issue with or, or the the reason for birds you know running into things it's not a matter of their intellect it's not that they're stupid you know it's that they're that they see differently than we do and they don't perceive you know like a reflective surface they see what's reflected in it not that it is a solid surface or they see something that they think they can fly through um, and so in the in the images I was making I was not making um, you know, a, a specific thing that they were flying into, but it was just, you could kind of see where they, their like locomotion ceased, mm -hmm. where it couldn't go any further. Yeah. Um, and, and I was doing them on this kind of larger scale because uh, like almost kind of a human scale. I, I had kind of a couple scales that I was printing them at, but at their biggest kind of their ideal, ideal scale was uh, where they were, um, could easily relate to the human body in like a comparable scale of mm. the human body because there was this kind of invisibility of that this was even happening I would mm -hmm. talk to people sometimes about the project and they'd be like oh well how many birds do you typically find you know during um you know a collection season and they'd be like oh it must be like five or something like that oh no and, yeah and it's been years <laughs> since I've done it and I actually have forgotten how many I would yeah. find um, but it was, and it was a whole group of volunteers. It was not, of course, it was not just me yeah. out there. Um, but it, um, but it was always, they were, I, I just recall that when I talked to people about it, they were always quite surprised by the number. Cause they were like, well, I never see it. You know, it's that like, uh -huh. well, I didn't see it. So, you know, I didn't right. even know this was happening. And so part of like the scaling up in the photos was just the idea of like creating a visibility for mm -hmm. that it was that it was something that was occurring and was problematic and and also like in the downtown spaces like they would have people that would kind of like um you know take care of manage the streets and would kind of like tidy things up too so it's like well if you don't get out there really early in the morning exactly um, you yeah. know the odds are you're not gonna you're not gonna see it or like some volunteers come and picked up the bird too you know so. yeah that kind of reminds me of like so uh, when I was in grad school, um, we had um, the build, I think art buildings tend to be like your kind of, um, kind of brute, is it called, uh, what's the... Yeah, brutalist the, architecture. Brutalist, thank you, brutalist architecture. So uh -huh. it, it can be like kind of a little bit dry with like lots of concrete and then also uh, windows, but... 
anyway, so that's the kind of building that we had. And they had this sort of atrium um, that had a lot of these glass windows and the birds would hit the windows. And then there was, they, <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately, there was like a ledge <laughs> on each window. So like as <gasps> the semester continued, you would just see these birds build up. And it was very depressing. Every time oh you walked God. in. The ledge of carnage. Because, yeah, they just didn't get around because it wasn't a convenient thing to, to, to kind of manage. Um, and actually, I think some of the students ended up using the birds in their work because it's like we were just so affected yeah. by it so often. But I wonder if like, I think about like the advancement in architecture and the fact that we've been able to have more windows and like how that's. Mm-hmm. a part of our technology um and yet right, they right there's a there's a cost but like it's great because it makes us feel more connected to our environment like we like windows in our in our places of residence <laughs> but it's like it comes with you know a, a problem as well as there's it's not always and, yeah you know it's like we like nature but we like nature to uh-huh. be at our disposal yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah. We it's don't want to s- contend with, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of sad that, like, I, I think that a lot of types of more modern, futuristic buildings do have a lot of windows. Like, that's kind of where we're going. Right, like, right, the more, right, right. The older the buildings get, like, the less windows they have. And so it's... <laughs> right. Harder. Right. Yeah. Ooh, so... Well, well... So there are solutions, apparently, like Miranda oh, and I were really? discussing, okay. is that there there's like uh, some vinyl films that you can put on windows that reflect, and, and they do obscure, it makes for not um, like a, say, a unobscured use of clear glass, mm-hmm. but it's it, it sets up like a, a pattern, sometimes of vertical uh, oh. lines that yeah. help the birds identify it as uh-huh. something they can't fly through or yeah. like uh, an extension of the sky. But um, yeah, we were talking about that and how, you know, maybe architects should kind of insist on these things, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, but, but you. what's really great, Miranda, like I saw this on your website and like they're really pretty like the photographs are like elegant <laughs> dead birds yeah yeah the dead birds and they're kind of thank you yeah thanks. beautifully presented and so and haunting yeah. like this one with his neck like bent back you know it's very dramatic it's a hermit thrush i think probably. oh my goodness or it might be a nuthatch i'm not i'm not sure what's on the yeah 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 but you know. i think that it what we experience with like the cognitive dissonance with like beauty but also, you know, we have something um, disturbing or upsetting, you know, to see these mm-hmm. birds that have, have suffered because we wanted, you know, windows um, in our buildings. Right. But... Well, and um, I was just going to say that with, uh, you know, kind of with the presentation, and like they're on these very kind of sterile, white, you know, clean backgrounds the birds Mm -hmm, um, when mm -hmm. I photograph them or that's you know that's how I'm showing them like I didn't you know I never wanted them to seem grotesque I wanted them to have that Mm -hmm. I really wanted to kind of like try to honor the birds too Mm -hmm. in a way and show just how beautiful 
they are and mm -hmm. and they like the Im the images in person have a lot of fine detail in mm -hmm. them so i wanted them to be i wanted people to be able to spend time with them yeah too because i wanted them to still feel beautiful mm -hmm. but also have this sense of that kind of arrested motion and you know that and in that arrested motion you know that sense of that's it you know that is that is mm -hmm. the kind of fine that's final that's permanent that's yeah the end touching back to the movie like the i really um liked the it, like i guess it's the evil <laughs> part of the movie which is nothing like it's <laughs> literally nothing and i just nothing. don't feel like oh yeah see that happen in storytelling where usually it's like a uh an it's a thing like that you it's a concrete thing that you can kind of like it has a see face. and identify yeah. and the fact that they called it nothing. yeah like the the wicked witch yeah yeah oh and it totally like in, in a lot of ways parallels like the wizard of oz and this sort of like journey and you know making friends and and this like coming across like different kinds of um, obstacles but yeah like the fact that they it was sort of really poetic i thought that the nothing was the thing that they were you know trying to um to fight against but is it nihilism or apathy or yeah like it, it was it is kind of a hard thing to action. define in uh -huh, action even yeah which is really kind of funny when you think about uh -huh. say your work with with these uh watching these birds uh like a man-made object destroying a lot of birds and how you it would be really easy to look the other way, or you could bring it to someone's attention, hoping mm -hmm. to <laughs> like change that course of events. Mm -hmm. The way we the way we build, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's within our power oh, if absolutely. we gave a fuck. That's you know, true. If we stopped just yeah. well, if we at... stop prioritize ourselves, and we were uh -huh. talking about this sense of aesthetics and oh well, mm -hmm. we don't want to obstruct our view and. Mm -hmm. But it's at, yeah. the, it's at the expense of so many other things, of other mm -hmm. beings mm -hmm. that we are willing to yeah. do that or not do that. And actually, that makes sense with you talking about the size that you wanted to print these bird portraits, if if I can call them bird portraits. Sure. I don't know. That's but, um, yeah, to, like, like, the idea of, like, size and power and uh, a place in the world and who who gains attention and mm -hmm. yeah if you're if you're tiny and without advocacy mm -hmm. you could very easily be mowed over by um people with more power more mm -hmm. resources less empathy yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um so i found out this little factoid about the movie which is that uh noah hathaway who played atreyu um uh-huh he uh, so in the story, I think his skin is meant to be green, if I recall. Oh, because um, oh, he's of the purple buffalo people, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> but so they they attended to like I think paint his skin uh, green, and then I think they said it looked a little bit like fungi, and so kind of scrapped <laughs> the green part. Which I was like, yeah, that that might be tricky, but um, especially like considering nineteen eighties <laughs> technology. But then they decided to um, 
artificially darken his skin. I don't know if this was like with a tanning bed or like, you know, like a lotion or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but if you notice, like his his complexion is kind of darkish, um, and yeah. like I don't. What do y'all think about that? Like the fact that they <laughs> made that choice to like make his skin darker. I don't. Well, he—he's sort of—he's he, sort of—he's isn't he supposed to represent like Native Americans? Like there's, oh, there's. Some... It seems like there is a very strong tie to that. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's one thing because we see like in that gathering at the palace or whatever. Yeah, they call the kind it, of like, royal court. Like, he is really the only. Like he is really the only humanoid-looking character right. that is there. Everyone else seems like very otherworldly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe except for the guy who, the small man who rides the snail. Like, he's uh-huh. just oh, yeah. he's just miniature. He's yeah. teeny but tiny. Yeah. <laughs> teeny he's tiny. Teeny weeny. Teeny that, tiny. That, oh, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> but, that's the character's name, y'all. Yeah. We were thinking about the, like, how Bastion you know, when they introduce Atreyu, Bastion, like, kind of flips over. He looks at one of his books or something. Yeah. And he's got this sticker mm-hmm. of, of like, a Native American hunting a buffalo. And so uh-huh. I was wondering, like, did it need, like, because, you know, they kind of explain away some of this illogical kind of reasoning in, at the end of the movie. We're like, oh, we needed Bastion to, we needed him to come along. We needed him to connect with you. So I'm wondering if it's, like, some kind of manifestation of, or suggesting some kind of manifestation of Bastion's that he needed someone in the story that he felt like he could connect to oh. and like something that was familiar to him. Cause yeah. also like the horse is so like the, like Atreyu and Artex, his horse stand out as so kind of like, like a mismatch in that world. In that, yeah. One that they're very, they're very like the world Bastion lives in and not like the world of Fantasia because they're not, they don't have like a dolphin fin stuck to the top of their head or something, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or three three heads that rotate or something yeah. like that. Like they're right. the the makeup was pretty good on those multiple yeah. faced characters. Yeah. I yeah. thought, yeah, yeah, but right, you're you're right. He's like Atreyu is a pretty straightforward human humanoid, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and as well it's as the Empress. It's interesting he was supposed to be a different color. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Supposed, that yeah. Aaron, you said he was supposed to be green. So that was in the novel, is that? Uh-huh. Yeah, so that was in huh. the original book, and then they went with just, like, tinting his skin darker, which I think, you know, was definitely to make him look kind of sort of exotic, I would imagine, like, mm-hmm. for Europeans to sort of have sort of darker skin. Um, but I wonder if that sort of the darkening of his skin might suggest that, I mean, this is kind of a, another reading, but it's like maybe the nothing represents colonization and like oh. sort of wiping yeah. out of like people's identities and their, their land. And I don't know, like, I mean, like I said, I think that there's a lot of, of layers to this movie. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And, and perhaps even unconscious layers to mm-hmm. some degree because mm-hmm. um, you know that, so it's a German writer who mm-hmm. originated the book and then a mm-hmm. German director. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Germans fetishize Native American culture in oh. kind of really specific ways. Like I've oh. seen photo doc- docu- documents of 
uh, say, a bunch of blonde Germans who were camping on a weekend, and they're all wearing Native American costumes, like as part of their camping trip. Mm. So, and I know the Nazis used some Native American imagery or symbols, and and saw them as much as they were racist. They also kind of held up Native Uh Americans in a in a uh, mythological way when okay when i was a kid um i was in before i got into girl scouts which was totally lame um i was um, (laughs) now i'm gonna use the term that was used back in the 90s so forgive me that this is not the correct terminology but it was called indian princesses this was the Uh organization and now they i think i'm sure they call it something else um, but we would totally like, <laughs> maybe it was, like, yeah. oh, I think they do. I think they must call something else. But, um, as kids, we, and it was always with our dad. So it was like a dad daughter kind of dynamic and we would go camping and we would go horseback riding and we would have like, you know, these sort of native American sort of, you know, very hokey kind of rituals um and i look back at and i was like i think that was okay i know that was fine i I loved it as a kid i thought it was great Uh um but like in america we do this like we dress up as you know native people and um you know it's like it's a it's (laughs) i think that we're trying to connect to like you know yeah. another culture or you know another it feels like another world sometimes like just the way that you know the cultural differences yeah. are um but yeah i mean right. like we're like oh the germans like no we were doing that in the 90s like that's definitely happened <laughs> uh so um but um I was going to say that, oh, it kind of just reminded me of like, uh, uh, what's the, um, Steve, no, sorry, what's the movie? Avatar? That's the, where they had the blue. Oh, yeah. The blue skin and it was sort of like that. Right. Again, going back to kind of like a Native American. Yeah, or uh, Amazonian. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, they're, the uh, colonizers have come in and like resource gatherers stealers i know what i was gonna say so this okay so thinking that uh this idea of like the nothing the nothing could represent colonization um i watched a fantastic bit by john oliver who talked about um like the the like the practices of um, european museums and how basically Uh they stole all of these artifacts (laughs) from these different countries and this are the the big problems right. that are happening with that did you all see this segment at all i mean it was just like i did mm-mm. not fuck okay i'm gonna send but I'm it interested to you in the subject yeah because it is wild like the thing the rationality behind keeping uh-huh. a lot of these treasures basically right um and like i was just it, he made a really good point because he said like the a big 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 i mean there are so many problems with this but like What's really fucked up is that folks that, you know, are trying to connect to their ancestors and their traditions have to go to, like, London (laughs) to, like, feel connected. It's just so, like... There's a lot of pressure on museums now to deaccession, I believe the word is. Uh, Uh Like their collections. Uh, I was reading recently about, I think it's the Benin people of Nigeria and how Mm -hmm. they're bronzes were really uh treasured by 
Europeans, but mm-hmm. yeah, they just sort of cleaned them out, and like mm-hmm. there, there aren't any left in Nigeria, and they're working yes. to get some back. Yeah. yeah, and that they're, and it's not just that it's art, but it's tied to spirituality, ancestral yes. references. It's, uh, yeah, it's not just a tchotchke or a uh, souvenir from mm-hmm. your travels, but it's mm-hmm. like part of their culture. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really fucked up, especially when you start looking at the history of, like, the collection of, like, the shrunken heads and, like, what that oh, means to yeah. certain, like, well, certain societies. And right, cultures. right. Oh, my God. And there were even live people that were used in uh-huh. what uh, oh, his yeah. references, like, human zoos. Like, uh-huh. I know there there's a really, um, well, we might be getting off topic <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> right? <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like say uh, the World's Fair in St. Louis, maybe mm-hmm. like the turn of the in 19th to the 20th century, there was a Filipino village mm-hmm. that was reinstalled in like year round in St. Louis and hundreds of people died because they were out, they were in a village and they mm-hmm. weren't used to the cold. They weren't used mm-hmm. to, um, yeah. Oh, uh, oh. Dude. Like, flus and such that we had here yeah if i'm up north i feel like i'm gonna die and i live here so like i can't even imagine (laughs) holy shit right yeah 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 (laughs) and it was also that the people weren't quite being treated properly either Mm -hmm. like uh, you know trias like subhuman or like animals in a zoo like i'm saying so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's there's kind of a famous uh african woman who was display on display while she was alive and then i think she was on display maybe posthumously like her corpse mm -hmm. was on display Mm -hmm. because her the form of her body was just so different and i want to say she was called something like like congolese venus or something Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. uh yeah but yeah like like people people's curiosity and wasn't always good for the individual yeah yeah like yeah (laughs) Aaron, I was just going to say, going back to your, you know, your kind of question about the nothing, if that's uh-huh. symbolizing um, colonization. Like, I was, I was very curious about the choice of, you know, of Atreyu, you know, and how they describe him. He's this brave warrior of mm-hmm. the purple buffalo people. And it's like, mm, that seems just like a native person, yeah. you know, like a Native American person. It's like, why is this person the person that has been chosen as a person uh-huh. who is responsible yeah. to restore <laughs> yeah. this yeah. land, like this thing that is going on? And kind of also in that same kind of line, like I was thinking it was very interesting, like that the three main characters that have agency in the story are all children or are quote unquote childlike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about like today, like climate mm-hmm. change and... Oh how you know the younger younger generations like are really kind of going to be left are are left with this big mess that has been created by older generations totally yeah form or whatever past gen i'm not sure what word i want to use but um the younger people are going to really are being left with the fallout of yes industrialization basically that we have just been 
ignoring like the science behind no climate change is a thing it's yeah. it's it's been here mm-hmm. you know for quite mm-hmm. a while actually but it, but it has this invisibility to it because it, or it had i feel like it's not so invisible anymore but mm-hmm. um but anyway but they're you know they're I, I was seeing connections there with like who like the generations that are having to deal with um, the fallout of right. what uh, like, older generations have created. Yes. Like, like tag, you're it. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> like oh, sorry, the world's crumbling. But, yeah. Leave you know. all your weapons behind. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. that was kind of fucked up, actually, the way that they didn't allow Atreyu to have any weapons. Like, why was that? It's It seemed like a weird, yeah, unnecessary obstacle. That's not explained. Right. I kind of, I don't, I don't know, like, maybe that, I don't, I mean, I guess, again, like, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that you could read into this story, but it's, like, maybe learning that you don't need anything about yourself in, you know, like... It's vague. It's pretty yeah, fucking like, vague. But I definitely wrote down, like, Greta Thornburg is, like, the Empress, kind of, like, but, like, way better, because I feel like the Empress it doesn't have a ton of agency. Like, she's just, like, hanging around, no. waiting for, like, to be saved, basically. Um, yeah. Where somebody like Greta Thornburg today is much more, you know, involved and active in climate change awareness. Oh. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I... I think she... Yeah. Yeah, Greta Thornburg should be, like, cast as the... Uh, <gasps> they should be... T- oh, my God, in the, yes. In the, in the remake. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, or she could be... She could be a Treyu, like, the, per, the you know, flipping... Yeah? You know? It's really true. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I was thinking this film really begs for a remake. <gasps> I does. feel like... Yeah. Like a lot, like a lot of things could be further explained and better explained. A lot of mm-hmm. things could be flushed out in a more satisfying way. Mm-hmm. And we certainly have better technologies and puppetry and. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you weren't impressed now. with um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the dragon's name? F- uh, Falcor. Falcor, you were the not dragon. Impressed. <laughs> We were we were <laughs> laughing actually at how creepy Falcor seemed. That he's kind of like schmarmy and like oh winking and yes. giggling and like we're like I don't trust this guy. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a little crude, and then the like the tongue like was so distracting. I'm like, why is his tongue moving? Oh, yeah. Oh Oh my goodness. Well, and it's so funny. We were talking too about the sense of like, well, obviously, right? Falcor's supposed to be on, he's he's on the side of good, right? He's mm-hmm. white, he's oh, jolly, he's... he flies in the sky, he's yes. like, oh my God, in a he's way, Santa. Right? He's Santa, yes. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And you okay. don't want to sit on his lap. <laughs> you do not yeah. sit on his lap. Yeah. But, well, uh-huh. and then like Gamora <laughs> is like, like, I was thinking of, like, this as an adult, <laughs> that, like, Gamork, this, like, werewolf, you know, creature, I call him a werewolf because just he speaks, you know, he's a wolf that speaks. I mean, yeah. I don't look right, whatever. But, you know, he's black, he hides in the shadows, he's earthly, like, obviously he's evil, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he's the one who's, like, I feel like being very honest about, like, what is going on, and he's actually mm. just talking very candidly about what's going on. He's talking about 
you know, people losing their hopes and dreams and, like, Mm -hmm. gaining control and power through that. And, I mean, he's just, like, he's not pulling his punches or whatever, if I'm using that phrase right. No, it's true. Whereas I feel like Falcor is just like, everything's going to be all right. You just need some luck. (laughs) You know? Wink. Yeah. And and the the wolf is kind of an anti-capitalist, like, anarchist who's Mm -hmm. saying time to get serious like put up or shut up and like i'm i'm a yeah he's an it's agent ending. of the nothing he describes himself as like an agent of the nothing yeah i kind of kept trying to make connections um to our sort of current um problems with uh twitter and i was like okay twitter's uh-huh. uh fantasia and obviously Elon Musk is like the nothing maybe or something like that. And then, yeah. you know, like I'm trying to like figure like, oh, who's the wolf and who's the, you know, who's a Treyu. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just feel like this type of story could just be like, yeah. Uh, but like you could kind of superimpose it on a lot of different, like, you know, you've got these, um, you know, like even thinking about like the politics happening in the 1980s with Ronald Reagan and like capitalism and oh right, you know, like and cult- AIDS actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, like it's just like, like 1984s. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh huh. So like you can see it in so many different ways that it's kind of a nice like uh-huh. it's a nice way to for as a as an artistic kind of device to just sort of implant it on like what whatever is happening either in your you know present or in the past so it doesn't i feel like that that kind of storytelling um you know i'm not surprised that people are drawn to it you know because they can kind of superimpose themselves into the story Mm -hmm. and see Mm. like their problems like for me and this it kind of resonated right now I, i was reading this book called um art and fear which um, I just sort of stumbled upon um, at one of the libraries. And it basically is sort of confronting like a lot of the problems that artists have in their practice from like beginning until the very end, you know, as mature artists. Um, And um, yeah, it was just kind of, and I thought like, oh, you know, you've got like this confrontation with the self and you've got, you know, you have failure, Mm -hmm. you have loss, you have... Like, I was even thinking, like, how the magic mirror was sort of this way that artists are confronting, like, oh. their their sense of, like, like who they are in their work and, like, their visual um, sort of language and their identity. Um, anyway, so I'm just like, wow, like, it really could kind of, like, be imprinted on almost any kind of story where there's some struggle, you know? But, uh, yeah. yeah, like a big problem as an artist, I find that I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me till I read this book was, um, like we keep having to redefine what art is and what it looks yeah. like and how it feels. And, yeah. and like not a lot of industries or a lot of other like mm-hmm. disciplines have that, like this, like constant right like like what is art and what is it supposed to look like and how are we supposed to evaluate it you know you know it might mirror with technology in terms of how quickly it moves oh my gosh you're so right because right now we have 
like the whole um, AI generated art, and we're just like, oh my god, how okay. can we wrap our heads around that? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of, <laughs> uh-huh. we have been. Uh, uh, Miranda and I have been tripping out on AI this week. Oh, okay. And, uh, she's playing with some software, but we're also just talking about what it means for artists and mm-hmm. what it means for like, just am I am I experiencing what I think I'm experiencing, or am I mm-hmm. already deeply into some type of matrix world uh, environment? Uh-huh. Well, and what kind of started. What started me thinking about this was when I watched the film, I thought, how would they, like, if we made it today, how would it look different? How would the film look different? Mm. And I thought, oh, well, it would just be a boy sitting in his room or a, a person, a child sitting in their room on a VR headset. Oh, yeah. You know, in the in this space that's, like, being kind of give, maybe given to them or, you know, built out of... A, a kind of preset of options maybe mm-hmm. um, but I was thinking about like imagination and not really the death of imagination but like the um, oh mm-hmm. the influx of technology that's mm-hmm. available to us that that, and it, that kind of gives us things mm-hmm. more so than mm-hmm. yes even the the bookkeeper he says oh you'll find no video games in here uh-huh. you know there's only books and they make no beep 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 beeps you know he, <laughs> he makes that comment yes uh-huh. and it, it kind of i feel, feel like calls to this sense of like yeah technology threatening uh-huh. um or or pushing other things out maybe or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. drawing our attention in a very different uh-huh. way and um, but I was also thinking in the sense of like a vir- vir- these virtual realities or augmented realities. I, honestly, I'm not really sure what the difference is. Yeah. Personally, I, I don't I don't I don't have enough experience with yeah. it to know. But but being able to construct an environment in those spaces that's so much more appealing mm-hmm. than what our actual reality is, uh-huh. and, and losing touch with reality in that sense, while things kind of fall apart around us, like creating you know a space that is so much more desirable to mm-hmm. live in mm-hmm. while everything else goes to shit around us. Yeah. Or, or that being a danger. And then, yeah, and then we've, and then I, Hyde and I have kind of gone down this AI <laughs> rabbit hole of, of interest and fear, I think, of uh-huh. like, even like, Aaron, what you're talking about with the role of the artist and redefining uh-huh. what art is uh-huh. and, and what counts as art and and is, is, thought, is thought art or, you know, like, can a prompt... <sighs> Like oh, some yeah. of these image generators, like, yeah. is it just the thought? And we were talking earlier about, like, even these artists where it was, um, like, like that was kind of like it was a participatory thing mm-hmm. um, where it was like it would just be a set of instructions. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the art, you know, and then, well, yes. and then, and then participation happened around it. So I suppose right. that was all, the, that was the, the whole package yeah we were we were referencing artists like um sol lewitt who has instructions to make a drawing or yoko ono has (laughs) has instructions for actions yeah right right and that 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 is the work like they don't have to produce the work themselves or that they don't have to produce the work at all it's just the idea that is there the prompt and now the work is it's the prompt. It's yeah. the thought that you put in and then AI generates the image. Right, right. Or the script. Yeah, and like when <laughs> yeah. we think about Solowit or Yoko Ono, like I don't really, like I feel like that's not contempt. I mean, it feels kind of older, you know, it's, been, it's a part of the mm-hmm. canon of art history and yet we're still confronting these fears of, 
of like, well, how much of the hand of the artist do we need to feel like we're looking at something genuine or authentic? Mm -hmm. um, and we just, I think that we just keep circling around this question um, <laughs> and nobody, like everybody might have their own answer to like how much they need to see of like a person making a thing and how much of mm -hmm. it how much is the idea more important than the thing itself? Which like this question has been happening for over a hundred years. So it's obviously we're still grappling yeah. with it. Um, you right. know, but and even with photography, yeah. I oh, mean yeah. that happened totally. with the advent of photography. It's yeah. like, oh well there goes drawing and painting. I mean yeah. why, why yeah. would anybody want to look at a drawing or painting again? Exactly. Because, or or like photography was such uh, a, you know, like a dirty word, right? Uh -huh. Because there was uh -huh. no there was no skill associated mm -hmm. with it. There there was no need for skill. What's which funny is too is like <laughs> you know um, after photography had been established, you know, and and I think like part of that comes with like an acceptance in academia where like you start to see it at the university level and then now it's like okay well we can call this art now or artistic and then when color <laughs> yeah. photography came around it was like oh but we can't do color you know and then it's like you can't do this and uh -huh. it's just like we are constantly struggling with this you know and and the thing that i find that it it when i realized this it was just such a relief to know like what like art is so hard because we are constantly <laughs> having to question what the fuck it is and it's like why doesn't that get right. talked about because we don't we just all are kind of like okay this is fine we're this scared. is fine and like we're all just like fuck what am i doing you know and as a creative yeah. it's, it's yeah. can be really challenging you know well, and there's enough like imposter syndrome to begin oh, with yeah Totally. And yeah, and and also you know like in general like uh, society can be really um, sus suspect of what an artist's motivations are, mm -hmm. what if they're if they're truly providing something to society, mm -hmm. or if they're trying to find a way to shirk the responsibilities and siphon off energy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, and like, you know, yeah, and, and we even we even buy into it. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Um, and like you know, with Miami, um, the art fair is happening, and it's like right now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of coming to a close uh, today. But um, with Basel, like all these questions keep coming up. It's like, how are we supposed to feel about art and the marketplace? And yeah, I mean, it's really complicated. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, we all, I think everybody probably has mixed feelings about it because we're in it and we often sometimes feel frustrated by it at the same time. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's something that keeps, keeps it alive too, is oh. that we haven't just decided like, you know, say <laughs> like a, a, a race where it's like, well, this person did it in 14 seconds and they're the world champion. Uh -huh. But like with art we don't have a way to define it or measure mm -hmm. it in the same mm -hmm. way. That's I mean, true. we could measure, yeah. I mean, that the market, you yeah. know, the market can def give, give like monetary value of something or auction prices can do that. But also we look at that stuff and go like, yeah, that was the priciest piece of art, but is it the most valuable or like, will it stand the test of time? Yeah. You know, that and then, yeah, is another like, question. What happens with, uh, you know, these purchases of, of you know, f 
like val quote valuable works of art but then like if they're discovered to be fake or you know maybe of mm. um you know that's not genuine then they get like tossed in the garbage and i just feel like it's so arbitrary <laughs> like, right it's just right it's mind-boggling um, well i remember reading about uh andy warhol's estate was verifying the authenticity mm -hmm. of works of art and mm -hmm. you had to sort of line up and go <laughs> go to with your Andy what? Warhol and go to this thing and they had like a rubber stamp and they would they would either authenticate it or call it a fake wow. and you and they would stamp the back of the canvas wow. with the the like rejection of it and so you know, it's like sort of like applying for tenure. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, if, if you didn't pass, you failed. You know, wow. yeah. So, yeah. so some people didn't show up for that authentication Dang. process. Dang. Our authentication process, yeah. Um, I did want to um, <laughs> just. I think I wanted because because I was connecting that DIY work to the to the oh. movie more closely. I, w I would like to work. A yeah a word in about that uh -huh. um just because i think it it connects for me anyway not yeah that I was, you know i mean i'm sure when i was five i was not thinking about on what i'm gonna make <laughs> when i'm in my 30s uh, <laughs> i think that was kind of we talked about some of, i feel like we kind of yeah covered can good, i bring uh, up one thing that i thought stuff here. might yeah be interesting yeah. so i um a few nights ago, you know, on a Friday night like you do, you're like, what kind of documentaries are out there? And I found one about Xanax. And I was like, well, I'm getting my oh. popcorn. And it was so interesting. Hers. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, Xanax is a drug, if you don't already know. And I found like, oh, here it is. So this, I was like, how does Xanax work? And they explained it in the documentary. I think it's on Netflix maybe. But it basically creates some like um, like chemical thing happening in the brain to basically calm you down. And it's pretty yeah. fast from what I understand. Like it's pretty immediate. You take the pill and you feel calm. Mm -hmm. have, do y'all have experience uh -huh. with this or maybe... I've know. never had a Xanax, but I have friends that kind of live on them. It yeah. Happened. I've taken it before. Uh -huh. It happens pretty quickly. Yeah. I uh -huh. feel like yeah. it's very effective. Yeah. And so that, um, it's basically like, it's, it's pretty revolutionary drug because it allows people, you know, to kind of function in these moments of high anxiety. Yeah. Um, but sure. Then of course, you know, comes the, the downside, which is that people get addicted and that they have problems yeah. um, mm -hmm. weaning mm -hmm. themselves off of the, uh, the, this type of drug. Um, yeah. And so are you saying Xanax is the great nothing? Well, I I don't know, but I do know. I feel like there's some, like, the nothing maybe could be more of, like, a metaphor for depression. And, yeah. like, there seems like, I don't, I mean, my experiences with depression have felt like like waves of nothing. Like, there's yes. this sort of apathy that happens. And, like... Xanax is almost like just, I feel like it could just be maybe like a band-aid for anxiety or, or for depression. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Like it's not a lifestyle, but it's like, 
it's a break in case of emergency type of tool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a luck dragon, yeah. Miranda says. It kind of is. It kind of is because it's not really... It swoops in when yes. you're in the swamp. Ex that's a. That's exactly... I would have... I mean... I are we yeah. are we writing a commercial for Xanax yes, right are. now? <laughs> but, but you know, but the thing is, like these. Send our checks to what you. I thought was fascinating, and Miranda, I think you might appreciate this, is that this one woman who was addicted to Xanax, um, and who was really struggling with kind of like modernity and all of the crap that comes with it, um, eventually found a lot of solace in um, volunteering at a at a horse like. Mm. retirement sense that's not what it's called but it's basically where horses go to <laughs> hang out as older creatures yeah. and need help yeah. and need care but you know they're not useful <laughs> mm -hmm. anymore like the greyhounds were useful um and then they weren't right and, and right I just right there is something about con I, connecting to nature but also like confronting yourself and not trying to escape you know and yeah. like because I feel like, like in this story, um, Bastion, he is escaping, but he's also not confronting his grief with the death of his mother. And it's like he needed to like, he needed the fantasy, but he also needed to use it in a way that allowed him to confront the loss and like to, to heal, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, I just thought, I was like, that's such a, funny like i just randomly started this documentary and i really started thinking about this movie and how it kind of functions as a metaphor for depression or anxiety and and mm -hmm. all the heavy stuff you know yeah yeah so. I, like that that narrative in mm -hmm. the film mm -hmm. is is very strong and that's why i think i get a little irritated at all the kind of like chaotic and hysteric behavior from mm -hmm. some of these like uh, elfin figures oh. that are like what the fuck are they saying or doing or <laughs> uh -huh. trying to get at uh -huh. and it's like because there is an important theme here and then they're just sort of like these noisy chickens like running around <laughs> and like <laughs> they're a huge distraction but yeah. also like yeah a, a kid is probably not going to want to watch a film without some characters <laughs> Yeah. Like like some some entertainment, just pure like yeah, candy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and and Aaron, you're you know you're thinking and and associating the nothing with depression. Like mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely like that. I like that was what at watching this film again and really actually thinking about it normally when i watch movies i'm just like did i like it yes or no and it's like very it's yeah. like did i have a good time or not like i typically like really mm -hmm. just kind of let myself go and mm -hmm. let myself go and, and don't you <laughs> know like, let yourself go <laughs> I, I know. and i don't you know kind of think about it as deeply as as um like as what happens on the podcast in yes. these discussions. Yeah. Um, although I love the podcast discussions cause they're cause, and I love to go back and watch a film either for, or to watch a film for the first time to be introduced to it or to watch it after listening to like all, you know, what everybody picked up on differently. But, um, but watching the never ending story as an adult, I was like, Oh, like absolutely. Like the nothing is like, just what it says it is like it is nothing it's like that feeling of kind of like mm -hmm. emptiness of mm -hmm. apathy mm -hmm. of losing hope mm -hmm. um so so yeah like i totally agree with that 
uh, that association. But also, I was just, um, I was very, very curious to when you when you said uh, when you were talking about the greyhounds and and horses and 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 you said the word useful uh-huh. and. Um, because I'm very, like, I've been very interested in language and mm. how we uh, formulate language around animals, like non-human animals in particular, uh-huh. and and how language gets used in this way that, um, you know, gives, I feel like can't, you know, definitely can give us as humans, you know, this sense of agency to act on animals uh-huh. in a particular way. And even, like, thinking of, like, well, this you know, kind of like categorizing things as either useful or unuseful or like in this sense of like, what, you know, can this thing do for us? Uh-huh. And, um, where am I going with this? Just that I'm, I'm always just interested to just, you know, it just hear, you know, kind of how we think of and, and describe, uh, um, you know, the, the, the creatures around us <laughs> and, and in the sense of like, uh, the like a a greyhound or a horse being useful mm-hmm. um and and also but also that sense of i think i'm getting a little lost in my own thoughts right now but no, um, yeah but 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 just how like the like the uses or um usefulness of of other beings like it's so unknown too mm-hmm. right like the or we we might not even know how something is important to us um until we're around it or, mm-hmm. or it might not have a, a typical, um, uh, you know, use that we might think of as, as being like, well, this can, like a horse can get us from point A to point B type kind of right. thing, or a greyhound might provide us companionship or, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I know I'm getting a little in no, the weeds here. Where you're I'm not. Yeah. yeah. But, but just, uh, yeah, just thinking about that language, because I've done kind of work around of, right trying to to think try trying to encourage like thinking in in different systems about mm-hmm. like just building narrative with other beings mm-hmm. a, as opposed to thinking of you know how how can we utilize one another mm-hmm. because i feel like that's where we that's a slippery slope in in mm-hmm. how we yep. Interact with the world around us, mm-hmm. and and Aaron, I'm not trying to like I'm. <laughs> I oh, hope no, no, you no. don't feel like I'm criticizing or like attacking you. It was just something that I picked up in what you said that I was yeah. you know wanted to um, kind of talk about yeah. a little bit more and how we think about others and and or othering mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Yes. And I was and I'm not saying you were doing that. I'm just no no. <laughs> but I think that like you're right that language <laughs> reveals a lot about how we feel, mm-hmm. and I think I was. Mm-hmm. When I reflecting back on that word, I think I was thinking in my head like of air quotes where it's like, <clears throat> yes, you know, in a sort of like um, capitalist sort of system where yeah. like something yeah. is yeah. either useful or it's not, and like if it's not, and and I think that as an artist, yeah. we yeah. we tend to sort of sympathize in the like not useful category because right. Um, like I remember because mm-hmm. we're undervalued our contributions yeah. are sometimes like, undervalued during, and, yeah d- during the pandemic we were labeled artists were labeled as like the the least useful 
people during the right. pandemic. Like, in like, terms of essential workers. Yeah. Like, and, like, okay, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure event planners were, like, particularly not useful. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> oh, that's my side gig. Thanks, Erin. <laughs> well, you're probably doing very well right now. But, um, you know, I think, like, our my fear, and especially growing up with, with boomer parents, is not to be useful. Like, I remember finishing um, yeah. my undergraduate degree and I was like if I'm not doing something I feel like I'm gonna die because I'm not useful yeah therefore yeah. I don't exist and and that's another kind of like yeah. compounded fear of being an artist is like if you're not making anything are you even an artist anymore and kind of like yeah. confronting <laughs> that because like an artist if you're not making, you're not an artist. Therefore, like you don't exist. And yeah, it's, it's really crazy. And if you're not selling, oh, you're not too. a real artist. Yeah, if you're not represented yeah. by a gallery or whatever, like all these little uh-huh. checks. Um, and I think as I get older, I'm trying to push away from like this tent, like this fear of not being useful, and just embracing me as just something that might yeah. I might not be giving, you know you know, contributing yeah. in like a money yeah. or, right. you know, kind of like qualitative I, way. So, yeah. yeah. I, I saw a meme the other day that said, <laughs> that said, he, we've, we've luckily ended up on a planet that just grows food. Mm-hmm. Yet we've insisted on creating credit scores uh, to like yes, <laughs> make I mean, our lives hard. Yeah. yeah. And and in that same way, like we all have a right to exist mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, our contributions, whatever they are, mm-hmm. are enough. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be industry fodder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to exactly. justify that we can take up space on the planet. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Aaron, and hearing you, you know, kind of, you know, talk about that more too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about like just how embedded that is in mm-hmm. like our cultural thought process of, mm-hmm. you know, just like you were saying, like if I'm not being useful, I don't exist mm-hmm. or I'm not worth anything, mm-hmm. too. So it draws attention to just how embedded that is in totally. how we think about everything, including our own self worth. Yeah, yeah. Here, here. We're having a therapy yeah. session now. You know what? Get Why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I also yeah. just want to shout out to like just kind of how be- like special this movie is and was, and it's like it's very <laughs> surreal and psychedelic and dreamy and like it's all- it's got some great visuals. Like it's just as like it's a fun movie to watch, and it's it's definitely mm-hmm. something that. I wouldn't mind watching again, even with the horse scene, um, which I particularly hate. <laughs> um, but I, yes. well, yeah. Well, pretty soon, Aaron, we'll be able to watch. We'll be able to ask an AI generator Ooh. to like, can you can you play a version <gasps> of the Neverending Story where the horse lives? Yeah. Well, well he comes back. That probably. That's right. He does. Through, he makes it through the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. But you know. <laughs> I have I have to return to this okay. idea of these mm-hmm. um, AI prompts. Yeah. Because Miranda was telling me that she was like, kind of playing around, knowing that we were going to be discussing the film. She's playing around with it, uh-huh. and so uh, she like types in like uh, 
a few things like lesbian riding a luck dragon <laughs> and the ai the ai returned and said this is against is it inappropriate or it against, against community, community standards, I think. What? Yes. And the so fuck? we've been laughing about, like, and I was like, did you type writing or writhing on? Oh, my and, God, and, yes. you know, and just this idea that, like, AI might have about, like, a lesbian just being a person wow. and not a sexual <laughs> act. Wow. Is that, like, she was lesbian lesbianing on a dragon, <laughs> you know, that, that like... And, and just the, like uh, you know, uh, it's been it's been uh, reported that AI is both racist and sexist. Oh, totally. Because yeah. of the information that we've already fed in. Yeah. So I'm like, of course it's homophobic too. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is interesting <laughs> that a prompt that was non-sexual but about a queer person mm-hmm. or a queer character mm-hmm. was just. Uh, like denied. kind of uh yeah denied <laughs> like a knee-jerk reaction from a computer uh-huh. is that it's inappropriate could we prompt it <laughs> hide fought no riding a luck dragon <laughs> and like would that would would it ha- like would it generate well, there's one way to find out Aaron. oh my god will there's you one. please do this <laughs> <laughs> y'all ride a luck dragon i'll just ride a luck dragon when's your birthday <laughs> Okay, well, let me know how that goes. I'm really curious. Well, you'll be, you're gonna be there. I'm okay. doing it for you. I'm coming, I'm coming out of your cake riding a luck dragon. Oh my god! With a tiny cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my new happy birthday, Aaron, Aaron Stafford uh, tattoo on my butt. <laughs> Take that community standards. Yeah. That's the rest of the tattoo. Why Take do, that yeah. community standards. Why do I feel like you just described like a um, like a Brian Jones painting or something? Like I feel like yeah, he'll do it. He'll, he'll do, do it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's grotesque enough. It's a grotesque enough imagery to capture Brian's imagination. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, well, this has been fun, y'all. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Miranda. Thank yeah, you thank so you. much. Um, do we want to talk about our next guest, Hyde? That's coming Who up. is it, Aaron? I, yeah. I, I, may have, I may have missed that, that communication. It, Who's our next guest? I think it is Ricardo Robinson, who I, okay. I know him a little bit better on... Instagram is Lavender Freddy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally spacing out. Yeah. yeah no. And then yeah. um we yeah. are a Pittsburgh based artist. Yes, yes. Excellent. And um he has selected The Happening by M. Night Shyamalan, who but also mm-hmm. that we, we watch it in um uh, black and white. Um and so okay. that'll be a really sort of different um request for us yeah and yeah we've been given homework, we've been by homework an and i have i'm proud to say that i figured out how to do that on my television so i'm ready to go and i'm sort of excited to like maybe watch other things in black and white and see how that changes yeah the film um but yeah so yeah. i think he claims that this is not a very good movie but that i think it gets better with <laughs> the color so and I've not seen this movie. Have you seen this? 
movie has- I have not. I I don't think I know much about this movie, yeah. even though I've enjoyed some of the other and, yeah. films by that director. Miranda, have you seen The yeah. Happening by M. Night Shyamalan? I ha- yeah, I have seen The Happening. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So if you need me to sub in... No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> Wait for that call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call you. Oh, exactly. Yeah, in a couple weeks. Uh... Be on standby. Mm-hmm. Right, what is it, the game show, when you have, uh, oh, when you have somebody that you can call yes. to answer a answer game show a trivia question? Friend. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah, I think Who that's it. Who wants to be a millionaire? Is that what so, Yeah, yeah, but... Phone, yeah, you get one call. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll make right. we'll make sure that you're um, on our on our roster there. But uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Well, well, thank if, you for making time to to be on the podcast. Oh, Miranda. absolutely! Thank, thank you all you. for having me. And this has been um, fun. We look forward to seeing some of your new work and hearing about those greyhounds. Those are that's such a great story. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the Greyhound Rescue. And yes. I don't know, yeah. Miranda. Is there are there any links that you could provide if any of our listeners are kind of curious about Greyhound rehabilitation or I don't know if that's what you yeah, call it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we can. Uh, no, it's um, it's it's like it's <laughs> once we get the Greyhounds off drugs <laughs> <laughs> and they go through rehab, yeah. yes, they I, can yeah. be homed. Um, no, it's just it's usually kind of just I think it's typically called just like a rescue group mm, and mm-hmm, that like mm-hmm. we're like across the. You know, I, I really only know how it works in Minnesota, yes. but we're getting um, dogs, and there aren't that many tracks open in the states anymore. Oh. But so we've started to get hounds in from, from Ireland, oh, where wow. they actually have a really oh, overly prolific breeding Ooh. and racing program there, oh. where they're breeding they're breeding dogs way beyond. Do they have what they need? Like accents to the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Just they curious. bark differently. They they might. You don't know. They could. They could. So if you're into accents and you like <laughs> Irish accents, then you should strongly consider an oh, Irish greyhound. Yeah. So yeah, they're not like it's it's a greyhound, but it just happens to be from Ireland. That's yeah. cool. That's you might cool. have to do like a Siri translate. Like, yeah, right. So yeah. They're so not... they have an Irish accent so your dog can understand you initially. <laughs> but yeah, no, I can I would be more than happy to provide some yeah. links if yes, uh, yeah. you're interested in We'll put that on the the description. Yeah. Cool. They're not they're not awesome. green or purple just because they're from another right. land. But they can grant you wishes like a, a leprechaun? I <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, if you catch them, that's, okay. that's the yeah. lore. Yeah. Well, greyhounds can be fast. Fast oh, but lazy. So. Well, it was lovely chatting with you both. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we'll yeah. Thank you, Aaron. talk soon. Yeah. All right. And happy 40th episode, Aaron. Yeah. It's a big deal. My goodness. Holy shit. 40 and beyond. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all right. Talk to you later. Okay. Adios. Bye. Bye.